Big law is all about diversity and inclusion now, right? What about including people with disabilities? Today on the podcast, we present a live online discussion about people with disabilities in the legal profession. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. Today, we're bringing you a very special episode. Earlier this week, we held a live discussion using Twitter Spaces with Bloomberg Law reporter Ayana Alexander, and we're presenting that discussion here on the podcast today. The event was focused on a story Ayana recently wrote about how the push to make the legal profession more diverse is now itself becoming more diverse by including people with disabilities. As you'll hear, there can be a big stigma in the workplace against people with disabilities, but these people haven't received the attention that other marginalized groups have over the past few years. The ABA introduced a pledge for change that law firms can sign to show their commitment to the issue, but as Ayana found, only 39 of the AMLAW Top 100 firms have actually signed it. In this discussion, you'll hear from Ayana about her reporting and also from a Twitter user and attorney named Sunny Woodruff based in Turkey, who joined the discussion to talk about the discrimination she's faced. Let's get right into it. Let's start off by first kind of talking, you know, defining our terms here, because I think that, you know, when people think of people with disabilities, they think of someone maybe in a wheelchair um, or someone with, you know, vision or hearing impairments. But I, I get the sense that looking at the ADA, it's actually much broader than that. It, uh, it's a, you know, someone who could be disabled is is not just limited to those those kind of narrow conditions. Yes, you would be correct. It is very, very broad. Um, not only did I look up the ADA's definition, which according to them, a disability is a physical or mental impairment, even though I'm going to say condition, that's something that all of my sources said, you know, impairment can be seen as it has a negative connotation. Yeah. But basically, it limits, it substantially limits one or more major life activities, right? So that can include the things that you mentioned, you know, having right. hearing loss or you're blind or you're in a wheelchair, but it can also include clinical depression and epilepsy. So it's pretty, yeah. it's, it's a big range. Yeah. And I should say before we go on, you know, I, I would love to hear uh, the thoughts of people in the audience, either people who work at who are attorneys, who work at law firms, uh, people with disabilities, or, um, you know, someone who is at the middle of that uh, uh, Venn diagram. I, we would love to hear your thoughts on this, too. So, Ayana, tell me about the percentage of lawyers who identify as disabled. There was a really interesting point in your story that it's actually probably, like, the the official tally is way lower than the, what is, you know, probably going on in reality because so many lawyers don't want to to label themselves as a person with disabilities. Yeah, so the National Association of Law Placement Incorporated, they released their um, 2021 report on diversity in U.S. law firms this month. I believe it was last week. Mm-hmm. The percentage of lawyers who self-identified has gone up over the last few years, but it's still under 2% based on the data that was reported. Right. Based like The number is actually 1.22% to be exact, for all lawyers. Um, the organization said that because this number is still really small, like you said, it, it does make it difficult to draw any conclusions about trends moving forward. Yeah. Also mentioned that there was still a significant chunk of firms and offices that didn't even report data on lawyers with disabilities. So not only do you have some lawyers who may have a disability that didn't self-identify, you also have some firms who didn't even report it. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and that's where we're starting at. We're starting at that, 
you know, that level of data where there's already sort of some some flaws in the official data as reported, but we're, we're working with what we're working with. Um, tell me about how this fits into the push for diversity in the legal profession. First off, uh, let's just talk about diversity in general. I mean, this is something that law firms and, you know, the legal profession uh, overall has been struggling with for a really, really long time. Can you talk about where we're at in terms of diversifying the legal profession? It's amazing, really, because after the murder of George Floyd in 2020, big law was really at the front of the pack when it came to affinity groups around race, gender, and orientation, right? Mm -hmm. Nowhere did they say anything about disability. I also spoke to a lot of different attorneys and disability wasn't even considered a part of the diversity and inclusion conversation until recently. So within the last year or so, which, you know, you have all this talk around DNI. And like I said, after 2020, it was really ramped up. So for disability to just now be, you know, talked about, it's a good first step, according to the attorneys I spoke with, but it's, it's something that was, was pretty surprising for me to hear. Yeah, definitely. Um, but when we when you talk about sort of now including people with disabilities, what what are we talking about here? I and mean, one of the things that your story mentioned is affinity groups uh, that are being started at these these firms. What, what exactly is an? I actually don't think I know what an affinity group is. Can you explain that? Well, I always I didn't know what the term affinity group meant either. I just always referred to them as employee resource groups. It's a space where you know people with a common interest or something linking them together whether it be, you know, for me, I've been a part of employee resource resource groups that, you know, support and celebrate Black employees. Mm -hmm. And it's also a space for allies to come together and network and get support and be celebrated. And for that to take place in big law, like I said before, that was unheard of. So it offers a space, especially according to um, Angela Winfield, she's the first attorney that is mentioned in the story that I wrote. She talked about an experience where, you know, she was sitting with a recruiter. She, Cornell Law student at the time, 15 years ago, she said. And that person basically said to her, you have all the right things. You have the right credentials. You have everything you're supposed to have. But because you're blind, I don't think you can do your job. These type of spaces makes it so, it, that networking, that support, that, that celebration that's needed. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, when, when I, that was the story that you, or the, the anecdote that you let off your story with. And I just had to think when I read that, that if that's what they're saying to her face, you know, that like, imagine what the conversations in closed doors are like. Um, tell me more about her, actually, uh, Angela Winfield, who's the, the attorney you spoke with, you know, she shared that story about her experience. Um, I guess it was, you know, around 15 years ago. Have things changed for her? Have things gotten better? She said, when I spoke with her, after hearing that story, of course, there was a moment of silence where we were both kind of like, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she said that while she thinks, you know, the stigma around disability has gotten a little better, she still hears from law students and prospective employers. They still struggle with that. There's still that hesitance to disclose. There's still, you know, that perception from potential employers that you may not be able to do your job because you have a disability. And when I spoke with her, she basically was like, that's not true. There's nothing, there are exceptional attorneys who are being overlooked because they may have a disability. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of, I, I said, I, I sent you a list of questions I wanted to ask you earlier, and I'm kind of skipping around <laughs> here a little bit because, you know, you're bringing up so many interesting points, but the, I, I want to focus in on something you said about disclosing mm-hmm. that, you know, some attorneys who are applying for jobs or, you know, looking to, to get promoted have to disclose uh, that they are disabled because it's not obvious just interacting with them or looking at them that they are someone with disabilities and others don't, you know, if someone is in a wheelchair, that's something that they don't need to disclose. Can you tell me a little bit about that aspect of it in that it's almost like, I don't know, it, it seems like there, you know, some, some people have to sort of come out of the closet as dis, you know, as a disabled person to sort of borrow a phrase from another group. It's amazing. Every attorney, I spoke to five, um, they all have a disability of some sort. Each one of them all said that they, you know, were hesitant. And, you know, when you, you have a disability that people can't readily recognize, that's called invisible disability. Um, and even speaking with Catherine, Catherine Carroll, you know, she, she's in the story and she was the former treasurer of the now disbanded National Association of Attorneys with Disabilities. She said herself that she could pass as a quote unquote sighted person, but she still hesitated to say anything because she said, what if it looked like I needed an extra accommodation? Or what if I needed new software for my work computer? People are going to look at me like I can't do my job. Anna Curry uh, Guarana at Littler, who just, they launched their affinity in December. Um, she said she also hesitated when it came to disclosure because of the potential perception that she couldn't do her job. So that's a significant factor. But these affinity groups, the reason why they they are needed, the reason why they're important, and the reason why Lauren Clements, who's one of the co-chairs of Lidler's um, affinity group, she told me that the hesitation is the exact reason why she pushed for the firm to create and launch that affinity group in the first place to address those barriers. Like, you shouldn't feel like you can't disclose something that's going on with you just because the person who's hiring you may think that you can't do your job. That's not true. Yeah. And we should say that uh, even though, you know, someone is entitled by law, by the ADA to an accommodation at work, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's fun to have to fight for it, you know, to have to, you know, file a formal complaint and maybe even hire a lawyer to try to get that, that, um, you know, accommodation at work. It can often be a lot, you know, easier and simpler to just not disclose and to sort of uh, go fly under the radar. Right, right. Um. Tell me about the ABA Pledge for Change. This is something that happened just recently. Um, and, you know, first off, yeah, what is what is this document and what would it do? What does it do? So basically, this pledge is really a call to action um, from the American Bar Association. It came out in 2019 for law firms to guarantee that the commitment to diversity inclusion, something that's been, you know, at the top of everyone's minds for the last few years, it has to include people with disabilities, which as I mentioned, hasn't always been the case. And it also calls for the legal industry to encourage other firms to do the same thing. So it's just like, yeah, it's great if you if you sign your name, but you should talk to other law firms to do the same thing. Um, something that I also mentioned in the story, as of mid-January, so last week, there were only yeah. big law firms who signed the pledge. And that was out of the 100, you know, big law firms list. You know what I mean? 
And the pledge has signatures from law schools, from healthcare insurers, from major companies like American Airlines and you know Microsoft. So it was kind of shocking for me to see that, and you know, knowing that big law is all about diversity and inclusion right now. Yeah. Um, so if you guys have uh, a comment or you want to ask a question please uh, uh, raise your hand or send a DM to at B-Law. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Uh, and yeah, we, we want to hear uh, your thoughts about this, especially if you're an attorney or if you're an attorney with a disability, especially in big law, um, you know, let us, let us know, participate in the conversation. Um, Ayana, getting back to the, the pledge for change, um, why do you think that is that so few big law firms have signed on to this. It, that was something that I also noticed in your story that it, that was such a small percentage of, of the really biggest firms. Oh man, I I went over and over this in my head and I couldn't really come up with an answer. So I asked, <laughs> the big, job of my, big part of my job is to ask different people, why do you think this is the case? And a lot of attorneys that I spoke with were saying, you know, there's a range of reasons it could be, you know, we don't have enough lawyers here at our firm who identify as having a disability. So why are we adding something onto our plate? You know what I mean? Which as, as we just discussed is kind of like a snake eating its tail where it's like, you know, you, you, you may think you have not very many attorneys without, with a disability, but you know, really it's impossible to say. Um, also, like I've mentioned throughout this entire conversation, that stigma around disclosure is still a very right. Okay, we have a guest here who uh, would like to chime in. Uh, Sunny, I'm going to un- Hello. <clears throat> Actually, oh, it's Sunny, my nickname for Twitter. Uh, I'm a physically disabled lawyer from Turkey, and uh, I'm quite glad to see that uh, this kind of topics are uh, being argued in on Twitter. So um, I just want to be your guest and uh, just thank you for uh, making this conversation open for everyone. Yeah, no, thanks for, for chiming in. We really appreciate it. Uh, where in, in Turkey do you practice? Uh, in Istanbul, I practice law. I practice law. What type of, uh, what type of law do you practice? Um, actually, uh, right now I'm working for a real estate company uh, as an in-house legal counsel. Uh, but I got many difficulties while I was looking for a place to work uh, while I was in legal intern. And after that, I became a lawyer, an official lawyer. Um, I still got many problems. And uh, unfortunately, I experienced uh, many discrimination about this subject. Um, mostly they say your English is not good enough for us because uh, I always target on the big companies or the big law firms uh, which are doing the jobs around, all around the world. Uh, but then I uh, see the uh, then I saw that the candidates they chose uh, was were not better than me, so it was a quite uh, sup- disappointing uh, experience for me. But um, I think I didn't abandon on this issue, and I'm still trying to do uh, make people more conscious about this subject because um, I'm a lawyer at the first place and um, if I can't um, defend my rights so how can I defend any, any anybody else's rights sorry I'm a little bit excited <laughs> oh no that's this is fascinating so it so it sounds like that was uh you know when you were applying for for jobs they would say that the reason they didn't hire you was because of your English but 
that it would be that was sort of an excuse that they would they would get. Yeah, and um, they say maybe you're not be able to do court jobs, the court things, and you may not be able to go to the court every day. Uh, this might be too exhausting for you to do all these things. But um, I think being a lawyer is kind of thing that uh, you do with your mind, with your brain. So right. um, for the counseling area, I think I'm just good as, as the others. So. Yeah. Um, but in Turkey, um, disabled people um, have experienced many discrimination in other areas too. It's not for a specific law, law area. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Ayana, I wanted to ask you about that because that makes me think that it can sometimes be really hard to prove that you're being discriminated against because of your disability. Because uh, like Sunny mentioned that, you know, they, the reason why they told her she wasn't hired was because of her English, mm -hmm. uh, but that obviously wasn't the case. So what about people who need, you know, need to prove that their disability is the reason why they're being discriminated against? Wow. So first of all, Sunny, thank you so much for speaking on that. I really, really appreciate it. Um, that's that's actually something that's been um, a part of a huge debate terms of ADA and who's protected and who isn't, because I think one of the criteria is that you have to be able to prove it. A lot of the attorneys I spoke with said, you know, they, the ones who had an invisible disability and, and didn't really want to disclose without having that backup, they went to their doctors. Again, they spoke with other attorneys on ways to go about that. But that is something that has been sort of like a barrier or a hurdle. And again, that goes back to the importance of an affinity group because, you know, you can talk about, you have a forum with people that you can discuss these types of things with. Yeah. Well, th yeah. Thank you again, Sunny, for, for commenting. That was really uh, fantastic. Um, so, you know, we can continue the conversation, but one of the the last things I wanted to ask you about, uh, and honestly, one of the more interesting things is um, how COVID has uh, affected all of this. Because as we've talked about on on our podcast before, and as I think everyone knows, you know, COVID has totally changed the way that work from home policies uh, are are implemented at work, and including at law firms. Yeah. Do you think that this has really changed the equation here that now it seems like there's a much stronger argument that people can make that they are able to and should be able to work from home? Wow. So, David, you're kind of spoiling next stories. Um, <laughs> that wasn't included in the story because the story would be 2000 words long. Um, sure. yeah. I'm not, that we all know who my editor is. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah the, the we're sorry we're we're uh subtweeting uh a guy with the handle at right shorter his handle is right shorter so um that pretty much tells you what you need to know about him uh iona continue let's uh not get sidetracked here <laughs> yes, um that was something that did cross my mind but it kind of does go back to that special accommodation um and the stigma around that so that was something I talked a bit about with different attorneys, basically saying, you know, if you're afraid that that perception is there or you need a special accommodation like new software, how do you how have you been managing during COVID? And a lot of them said that kind of forced them to disclose because you're working from home and you're not in the office. You need that technology. Yeah. And that was a live Twitter Spaces discussion recorded on Monday, January 24th. It featured myself, along with Bloomberg Law reporter Ayana Alexander. Molly Ward ran the behind the scenes. 
And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merit. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Molly Ward. Our editor is Cheryl Sines, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. That's B as in, don't tell me whether B is a part of today's Wordle. I haven't done it yet. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. This is Adam Allington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. My co-hosts and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases, isn't adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.